Turn with me, Hebrews chapter 13, picking up with part two. We only have two services left here in the 13th chapter, and of course, obviously, that will wrap up our Hebrew study. It's been a wonderful time in this book. I've grown. I hope you have. If you're going to teach something and not grow, you might as well not teach it. But if you're going to teach and grow, or if you're going to be a student and grow, then you're doing the right thing. God wants us to not just open these things and say, yeah, I got a whole lot of information now. He wants application and transformation. So let's Let's ask the Lord to do that this morning. Pick it up with me, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7. Verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What a beautiful verse that is. Let's pray. Lord, we've done that this morning. We've sacrificed the praise of our lips in worship and in prayer, and now in reading your word. We ask, Lord, that you would remove every distraction, calm our spirits, deliver us from the other cares that we might have come in here with, even thinking about Monday's work or whatever. Lord, just anything that would distract us. Settle us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do a mighty and a holy work among us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. 15 verses, or not 15 verses, we read verse 7 through 15, but everything written here is for us to glorify Jesus. Everything written there is for us to glorify Jesus, to be effective, to be real. We have fake everything these days, don't we? Lots of fake stuff. But But God desires... And we need a real church with real disciples. Amen? That's what the Lord's asking. That's what he's calling for. And it would all reflect Jesus. If you look at the title, you see it this morning, A Church Reflecting Christ. I have no other intro than that this morning. I want to jump straight in. We've got a decent amount to cover before we take of the Lord's Supper together. So jump back into verse 7 with me. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The opening word here, remember, in the Greek means to be mindful, to call to mind. 
And the Greek word, word of, uh, the Greek meaning of the word rule, it's not rule like a, an empire, uh, an emperor, or some sort of uh, dictator. The fourth word of the sentence there, it means to lead, to go before, to manage, to govern, to be a leader, to think, or it also means to be the chief spokesman. Whether I like it or not, God's called me to be a chief spokesman. And trust me, a lot of times I don't want to be the chief spokesman. I'd rather give that to somebody else. But the Lord says these are the things that you're called to do, to manage, to think. Now, in the spiritual realm, we don't just think. We have to pray, then think. Now, aside from all the practical and necessary reasons we have church leadership, just as you have a need Leadership and government. Boy, don't we need it there, right? Industry, military, education, sports. I love a well-coached team. How about you? I want my team to be horribly coached. No, no, we, we need leadership in everything. Anywhere. But the primary reason we have church leadership, the primary reason we have church leadership is that it's God-ordained. Take Moses, minding his business in the backside of the wilderness. He had no notion of doing what he was doing. But God says, hey, I need you to go do this. I need you to lead a whole bunch of people. He's like, oh, you're the wrong guy. That's what he felt. He said he stuttered at that time. And you can feel the same way and maybe something you're called to lead in. But the reason we have church leadership it's designed and commanded by God. It's given by God. It's established through Christ. And then it's laid down by the apostles. We wouldn't want to come up with this. We would only want to follow this. In Ephesians 4.11, Paul makes it really clear. He says in Ephesians 4.11 here, you guys might want to advance that. I think when the computer crashed, I don't know if the clicker worked with that, but... Um, in Ephesians 4.11 he said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Who gave it? He himself gave that. Yeah, one more. There you go. Elders, which are teachers and leaders, and deacons, they extend that structure out. They extend the structure out. So you have pastors and teachers, elders, deacons, but notice the wording of this entire verse. Be mindful of those that go or lead, instead of word rule, go or lead, before you who have spoken not their own opinion. What does it say? The word of God. My opinion does not matter, nor does yours. Well, there's a lot of Americans are going to be shocked when they stand before God one day and find out their opinion, their tweets didn't matter to God. Their opinion didn't matter. Their Facebook post, their rant did not matter. Well, it does matter in a sense if it was not repented of or if it was not orchestrated and led of the Lord. But no, as leaders, it doesn't matter our opinion. What have we spoken? Have we spoken the word of God whose faith follow? It should be visible. There should be something visible to follow. There should be something that's an example to follow. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Is there visible fruit? 
Are disciples coming from their life? Are they growing in love? As you look at verse 7, keep in mind the the prior 12 plus chapters tell us what we as leaders of Jesus' church should be teaching. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, if you can advance one more, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul wasn't saying he was equal to Christ. He was saying, I know I'm faithfully following Christ, and we all need human examples. That's why God gave us parents, right? Hopefully to be godly parents. And that's not always the case. But we need role models in life. And we need people that have gone before us. We need people that are actually walking the walk and fighting the good fight. And by the way, if you can't follow, you can't lead in God's army. If you can't follow, you can't lead. I'd have no issue following the leadership of Paul or Moses or John the Baptist or D.L. Moody or A.W. Tozer or Charles Spurgeon or thousands of other believers. How about you? Would any of you have an issue following those men? No. You're not following them. You know you're still following Christ, but you're just submitting under that leadership. And I have lots of men in my life that I purposely submit myself under that I'll learn, that I'll grow. Now, if someone isn't following Christ and they're not in obedience to Christ, don't follow after them. Amen? There's a lot of people I wouldn't follow, too. How about you? There's politicians I wouldn't follow. I wouldn't follow them two feet. Right? It's a lot of people. But when you know the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you've seen their conduct. You've seen the faith. You need to go ahead and move forward. Get the train hooked. Move down the track. We're all, we've been given, or God wants us to have mature believers in the Lord that we can follow, that we can be mentored by, that we can be discipled by. Like I said, I have several. But all of us, this is an admonition for all of us to be what? Humble and learn. By the way, the learning never stops. We have some of you that are over the age of 80. You still have to keep learning. If you're alive, keep learning. Moses was called at 80. He learned a lot in the next 40 years, didn't he? So that never stops. Moving forward, verse 8. You can advance me one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that great to know on September the 20th? Jesus is the same. He hasn't changed. Governments change. Kingdoms change. Nations change. iPhones change. Prices change. Technologies change. Preferences change. But Jesus never changes. Isn't that great to know? He never changes. You and I, I have more gray hairs than I had yesterday. We're always changing, not always for the best. I mean, physiologically. Hopefully, spiritually, you are changing in a good way. But Jesus never changes. Praise God. The theological term for this is called, the word is immutable. You ever heard that word? Immutable. Unchanging. Time changes things in this world, but Jesus is eternal. He sits outside of time. He's not bound by that clock that you and I are bound by. He sits outside of time. He looks down on time like we look at a flat map. In 2 Peter, you can pull up that verse, 2 Peter 3.8, Beloved, do not think it strange 
I'm sorry, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. By the way, that's not a formula. If you ever hear Christians preaching this as a formula, a thousand years, that means, so if, we take, if each day is a thousand years, then prophetically speaking, you'll hear all this stuff. But that's not what the verse means. You start shoehorning thousand-year models into things off of that verse. That is not what the Lord... Also, it says in the Bible that it's the Lord, a watch of the night is like a thousand years. So there's other things. I mean, we're not just talking about... This is a phrase of speech to say that God, unlike us, holds time in His hand. It's not a formula to be worked out and say, I figured all the prophecies out because one day is like a thousand years, and I figured all that, and that's not it. He sits outside of time. Pull up the next verse, Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. God's like, how can I get it into your heads? I don't change. Which is really good for us as believers because then, is it just the clicker's problem? Okay, there we go. Remember I said three things this morning? The third was the clicker. I don't live by those kind of superstitions, but I just heard them all my life. And so uh, the third was the clicker. So it's the fire alarm, then it was the computer, now it's the clicker. So we should be good the rest of the day. You guys are, everything's fine now. Uh, enjoy your lunch later today. No worries. Uh, no, we have the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we don't live by those kind of things. I, I, I can laugh about them, but um, God doesn't change. He doesn't change. Jesus is God, according to John 1.1, 1, 1, when we get to there. Jesus is God. If God doesn't change and Jesus is God, then that means Jesus doesn't change. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He doesn't change. Now, just, and by the way, this is also a statement in, he, in Hebrews here paralleling that Jesus and God are one and the same because only God doesn't change. But here it says Jesus Christ doesn't change. John 1.1 1, 1 says that Jesus, if you've seen one, you've seen the other, that Jesus is the Father. And so we see the equality of Jesus with the Father. But it's a great thing to know in a shifting, changing, cynical, toxic, unstable, politically polarized and charged world that Jesus doesn't change. Amen? Isn't it great to know? Our Lord, the one who holds us, He's holding me right now, He's holding you right now, whether you realize it or not, He's been holding you all morning. When you were eating your cornflakes, when you were driving in here and, and something could have gone wrong and you didn't even know it, when you made it through traffic light, he's been holding you by his grace, holding me. But our Lord, the one who holds us, he's immovable, he's immutable. Nothing moves or changes him. Isn't that great? I love that nothing ever unsettles Jesus. I get unsettled by really dumb things. How about you? Ask my daughters. Don't ask them, actually. But, uh, you know, um, I can get unsettled by things that are just not that important. I'm like, why does this bother me? Nothing bothers God. Nothing bothers God. Even Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what you. Who can pray that? He's immovable, unchangeable. His love doesn't change. His character doesn't change. His power doesn't change. Same yesterday and day and forever. We're going to move on. Verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods 
which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Let's see if this works now. There we go. I don't know if that was them or me, but I'll take it. Believing. Once you know, once you know what you believe in and why you believe it, nothing can move or deceive you. Isn't that great to know? I use this analogy a lot, and I tell people a lot, you know, no matter how delicious you present to me strychnine or bleach, no matter how you describe it, I know the truth. I will never drink it, ever, ever, ever. There's not, well, I put food color in it. I made it look really good. There's nothing. You tell me what it is. I'm not drinking it. Once you know truth, you can't be moved and deceived. Amen? Once you know something's true, you don't, I could sit, once I got saved, I sat in a secular university when I was in college in Miami. I could sit in a secular university, and they could tell me all day long that evolution was, and they might as well have been talking to a brick. I know the truth. I, you can't, you, once you know the truth, you're not moving off it. Once I know that God gave me this wife, that's for my life for me. I, I, that You know truth, right? You can't be moved. I love that Paul said in Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. None of them move me. Jesus said in Mark 13, 5, he said, take heed, pull that verse up, Nate, take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus, Jesus is saying, the enemy is always going to try and deceive you, but if you know the truth, you can't be deceived. He'll try. Satan tried to tempt Jesus for 40 days. I mean, we know he, he'll try things, but that doesn't mean that if, once you know whom you believed in, just as Jesus never tra- changes, truth never changes. In fact, it's one of Jesus' names. One of his names is the truth. Amen. And his truth makes us free. Also free from deception and from religious work and effort. Because Satan wants to do one of two things. He wants people to think they're working their way to heaven or they're just kind of waltzing their way and nothing. they can do anything they want. That's kind of like this free grace, do whatever you want. But both are problematic, right? Both will lead to hell. You can't work your way to heaven, but you can't do anything you want. You need to be changed. You need the truth to come in and set you free. So the two warnings here, one is various and strange doctrines. You can think about it like new and evolving doctrines. That's our new hipper pastors that are actually bringing new doctrines that no one ever had until them. And then you have ritual law. You don't want to go to that direction either, right? You don't want to go to something that's new and false, but you also don't want ritual law. We're not going to return to Mosaic law. That can't save us. The whole of Hebrews taught us that. Both deny the grace of God. You've heard the saying, and it's a spiritual application, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Spiritually speaking. Technology, you can be both new and true, but I'm talking about the things of the Word of God, the Word doesn't change, neither does Jesus, neither does the doctrines that He's given us. He gave us the doctrines of the apostles, and they don't change. What if society changes? Well, society will change. We can't change. We have to follow what the Word of God says. And that's going to be problematic. I, I, I posted something, and, and someone told me that, someone literally uh, said to me, 
that's not very religiously, um, that's uh, not very religiously open-minded or something like that. It's, it's very exclusive what you said. I'm like, well, Jesus is exclusive. <laughs> he said he's the only way, the truth, and the life. This is going to bother people more and more as we get near the end, but it's also going to save people more and more as we get near the end. Jesus is very exclusive. He's the only way. If anyone wants to add to the doctrines or water the doctrines down or modify the gospel in any way, run the other direction. I do. I don't, I, 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 I don't need Calvary Chapel pastors only. I have other pastor friends in this city that are really godly men from various denominations. But I'm not going to hang out with people who teach a different gospel. I'll pray for them, but I can't, I can't co-labor with them because we're not rowing in the same direction. They're rowing people to destruction. We're trying to row in the way of eternal life. You know my life verse, 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. But I ha- there, you have to know, which we just looked at knowing, and believe. You have to know what you're believing in. And once you believe in the right thing, and it's Christ and his gospel and his doctrines, nothing can move you from it. Now you'll have your days when your flesh batters you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you're still anchored to truth. Amen? Do you understand the difference? That you need anchors in life, don't you? We all need anchors in life. If anyone adds these things, he said, look, be careful. Don't, don't be carried away. Don't let someone pull you away. The gospel is good news because it comes from God, not from man. It's His grace not only to be changed, but to live changed. Did you hear that? Not just to be changed, but to live changed. We need to cling to the gospel. We need to cling to His word. We need to believe it more and grow in it more week by week by week. I need, to, I need my belief to grow. Do you know that? Because the enemy will get hotter and hotter as the return of Jesus. Your, your faith is going to have to grow. And this will establish our hearts but it will protect us from lies. When Jesus says, you know, the deception is coming, he said even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. So we have to cling to the truth. Moving on, uh, verses 10 through 12. If you guys can advance me forward, because it's, it's not really working, but that's okay. Um, the word's working well. So verse 10 through 12, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Every single thing we have, brother and sister, now or in the age to come, we've received from Jesus. Every single thing. Whether you realize it or not. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness. We have the daily access to the throne of God. That's the emphasis that we have the grace-given right to eat at the table. Something that the Old Testament priests, they didn't have that opportunity. We do. If you're listening online, we have a personal, we have a living relationship with Jesus, who's our God, who's our Savior, who's our high priest up the verse uh, Hebrews 8, uh, which is previous, we studied this uh, weeks back now, but uh, Hebrews 8 verses 1 through 2, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand and the throne 
of majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle that the Lord erected. And we, uh, in mankind, God gave Solomon and later Zerubbabel and you know, the, the building the temple on earth, but the true tabernacle is with the Lord. And as verse 10 states, uh, even, if we ser- even if we fervently serve God through rituals, we do all the Old Testament rituals, and we have effort, and we have literal animal sacrifices, we'd still have no right or access to God the Father. Right? Those things can't gain us access to God the Father. It has to be a heart change. We need His blood, and we need a response of repentance to receive His grace. And these animal sacrifices, which could never save, they nonetheless continued... They were still happening when this book of Hebrews was written. They still were having the animal sacrifices until the temple was destroyed, leading right up until the animal sacrifices continued, leading up to the temple's destruction and Jerusalem's destruction in A.D. 70. Let me read you some interesting things that are witnesses outside of the Scriptures. I don't know if you've heard some of these things that took place according to historians and eyewitnesses before the temple was destroyed. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded a number of dramatic and supernatural events that took place in or near the temple itself. Uh, He recorded this in the War of the Jews, book 6, chapter 5, that foretold the end of the temple worship system in Jerusalem. Here's a few of the eyewitness accounts that were given. The first one, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread in 66 A.D., Witnesses said that a heifer, which is a cow, being led for sacrifice was said to have given birth to a lamb in the midst of the temple. A a heifer giving birth to a lamb. 66 AD, eyewitness accounts. The second one, around midnight during Passover itself, the massive eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, which was made of brass and normally took 20 men to shut, opened on its own. The night of uh, the night of um, midnight uh, of Passover, the night of Passover. Josephus said this was understood by those that were the wise and understanding that the temple's protection from God had vanished, and the gate was now opened up to make way for their enemies, which would be the Romans, and Titus would lead them in and destroy the city. These wise and enlightened men publicly declared that this sign foreshadowed the disaster that was coming upon them. By the way, a lot of people in history, just like our own country, are fully unaware when disaster can be right around the corner. And those of us telling people to turn to God are looked at like we are out in left field somewhere. And of course, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, exactly as Jesus had foretold. By the way, the reason why we can trust Jesus' prophecy for all the other things like the Olivet Discourse tells us related to the end of the world is because he said the end of the temple, and that's already happened, which was the first domino for all the others. Number three here, though, on the 21st of the month of Lyar, just before sunset, uh, witnesses said that chariots and soldiers in armor were seen running about the clouds around the city, foreshadowing the armies coming. God often sent angels to say what was going to happen, but then human armies would then follow, even though if they're in battle array. Number four, during the night portion of the day of Pentecost, 
66 AD, so that would be 50 days after the doors of the, remember the Eastern Gate, those doors swung open on their own 50 days later on Pentecost, same year, 66 AD, as the priests were entering into the inner court, they felt a quaking and a great noise and a sound like a multitude of voices saying, let us remove hence. Let us remove hence. The Roman historian Eusebius, as well as Jewish historical records, state that the Shekinah glory then departed from the temple at that exact time and remained over the Mount of Olives for the next three and a half years. The Shekinah glory left and moved east over the Mount of Olives. A Jewish rabbi named Jonathan that witnessed Jerusalem's destruction wrote that a supernatural voice called a bet kol in Hebrew would at times come from the Mount of Olives. A voice would come from the Mount of Olives saying these words, Return, O backsliding Israel, which by the way is Jeremiah 3.14. Return to me and I'll return to you, which is Malachi 3.7. These were not just words, they were actually the word of God. And they did not repent and said, I will return to my place, Hosea 5.15. That was what was resonating from the Mount of Olives at times, according to this rabbi named Jonathan at that time. Understand the biblical and historical accounts. I understand they're not Scripture. I'm not citing them that they are equal to Scripture. They're not. But, and the Scriptures, by the way, don't even need any validation from anything. But they are noteworthy that Josephus, Tacitus, Eusebius, and others' writings, they're in perfect agreement. They have the same recorded historical accounts. And these supernatural signs indeed preceded, because they're in AD 66, not till 70, then it all was destroyed. Many people slaughtered, many people sent off all over Rome into the, into the uh, theaters and killed and sent into slavery, but, uh, but the same record is recorded in multiple writings. And it's interesting, I think it's more than interesting, given the account of where did the Shekinah glory come and rest? On the Mount of Olives. That to me is fascinating because Jesus himself spoke of the destruction of the temple from where? On the Mount of Olives. He was standing on the Mount of Olives looking straight at the temple and the Shekinah glory ended up uh, resting where Jesus had said the temple would be destroyed. And by the way, where is Jesus betrayed before he went to the cross? At the foot of the Mount of Olives. And oh, by the way, where did Jesus ascend back into heaven? On the Mount of Olives. Oh, and one more thing, where is Jesus coming back to? The Mount of Olives. Interesting that Shekinah glory rested there as if God is to say in Jesus' ministry was three years, it was three and a half that it rested there. This is my son. Hear him. You know, uh, there's, there's just that kind of echo, if you will. But he was also then murdered and hung and died outside the city, as the text tells us here. Jesus went outside the camp, suffered outside the gate. And I believe that was north of the city. His shed blood had to be given so we could repent, allowing us to receive the amazing grace that is mentioned back in verse 9. Because He, and He alone, saves and sanctifies us. Did you know He wept over Jerusalem? He knew what was coming. He said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, but you are not willing. When He was even walking to the cross, He was saddened because He looked at the women weeping. He said, you're really going to be sad in days to come. He knew that they would literally see their children die of starvation 
all because of hardness of heart. When God looks at our country, he sees the hardness of heart. He says, why will you not turn to me? Right? But he goes outside the camp that we would be able to receive this salvation. We've received, what we've received if you're saved is of infinite value because of Jesus' incomprehensible sacrifice. Who has this kind of power and lays it down for us? We've received his pardon and his salvation, his love and his sanctification because he willingly suffered and died for our sins. Why do we make that such a minor thing in our mind? Even post-salvation, we sometimes like, everything else is important and that's not. No, no, we need to get back to this. He went outside the camp for me. And though the temple is gone, we now have daily access to him, are you taking advantage of that daily access? Or waiting till Sunday? Yeah, Sunday I get a lot of good access. No, no, no. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We've got to move on. Last couple of verse 13 and 14. If you guys can cue that next section up for me. Verse 13, pick it up with me. Therefore let us go forth to him. We know what he's done for us. Let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach, for we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. I've titled this one Reflecting. Are we willing to follow Jesus into reproach? It literally means as Christ suffered. That's what the term means, reproach. As Christ suffered. Are we willing? Notice the word, or the wording, go to him. Jesus would always say, follow me, right? He would always say, come after me. What I'm doing, you do. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow him. Outside the world's agreement and outside of the world's acceptance. You've got to follow Jesus outside of what everybody else is cool with. We're not seeking his reproach but we're willing to bear his reproach. Amen? I'm not seeking to be hated by this world, but I have to be willing to be hated by this world. Don't be an idiot on purpose. (laughs) Be a follower of Jesus, and then you will take some heat for it. You will. And you'll be really nice. I mean, you remember they, they, they crucified our Savior, and all he did was heal people and raise them from the dead. If you think you're going to get everyone to like you, you haven't read the word. Think again. We're not trying to be despised and rejected of men, but in following Jesus, we leave it up to him as to what we'll encounter. That's what he said at the end of the book of John. He says, what is it to you what I decide to do with each of you? Wherever I send you, you go. We need that kind of, we need that God is a father. He's not, he's not kind of, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> That's not the way God, if you, those of you that grew up with real dads, you know, back in the day, it wasn't, well, so what do you think we should do? Uh, you know, it wasn't that kind of discussion. But God loves us, but he says, here's how it's going to go. John 15, 20, pull this verse up. Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I know this isn't a fun verse to read, but it's one we need to digest. Understand it. Jesus is not, 
he's loving us enough to tell, let me tell you how it's going to go. At times. Remember when you first got saved, some of the people in your family all of a sudden didn't like you. You were nicer now. They liked you when you were cussing them out. All of a sudden, you're not cussing them out. You're inviting them to church. They're like, I liked you better when you were, you know, drunk half the time. Interesting, huh? Next verse, pull the next one up, 1 John 4, 17. Because as he is, so are we in the world. We're supposed to follow his footsteps outside the camp, outside the crowd, outside the cool people. You can't try and hang on. Can't I be as popular as LeBron James and act like Jesus at the same time? No. Doesn't work. We're to reflect Jesus in this sense. Jesus said and did everything the Father gave him to do. He said and did. He didn't say, Lord, I, I, I hear that, but what about this idea? No, he simply said, thy will be done. And for the most part, everything Jesus did that the Father had him do, for the most part, instead of actually saying, wow, thank you for all the help you've done and ridding disease and all these things, thousands, the leaders, the rulers, the who's who of society rejected Jesus. For the most part. There was a few Joseph of Arimathea's out there. There was a few Nicodemuses, but for the most part, the vast majority of who's who were like the rich young ruler. They couldn't let go. They couldn't go outside the camp. And someday, following Jesus, may cost you your job. It may cost you your career. It might cost you something. Are you okay with that? When you get to the end of the age, you'll be okay with it when, you say, when Jesus says, you've done well. Right? Don't try and hang on to things that you, can't, you weren't meant to hang on to. Just like you can't hang on to another second of your life. Just say, Lord, whatever they did with Jesus, I'm willing to go that direction. So we're to say and live by what Christ commanded us. And the world system and the who's who and the popular people, uh, yeah, they'll think we're not jobs. They might think you're a Jesus freak, some religious loon. But remember, this isn't your home. It says we have no continuing city here. Isn't that great to know? The writer's like, by the way, this isn't your house anyway. Why are you trying to set up shop here? Why are you trying to furnish what's not even yours? This isn't our home. By God's grace, uh, we're the same ones, by the way. But we're not trying to make this very obviously falling apart at the seams world, which is full of death, full of disease, full of hatred, full of sin. We're not trying to make this place into heaven. Everyone else is. Right? Never once have I said, you know what, I'm going to make a good dinner out of everything that's been sitting out in our trash bin the last week. I've never said this. There's some good stuff in there. I, I saw it. You know, it, it's, a, it's a week's worth of like it smells bad, but I bet it could take. That's that's what the world's trying to do with this world. Like, let's scoop it all up and make it into home. Stop it. And yet we're the crazy ones. Jesus said he wasn't of this world, and he said we weren't either. In John 17, he told the disciples that in John 15 as well. Um, Pull up this quote from D.L. Moody. In my opinion, no one is fit for God's service until he's willing to be considered mad by the world. Are you willing to be considered a little bit off for Jesus? Do we want to win a popularity contest or do we want to win souls? 
Do we want to be honored by man or do we want to be honored by God? There's really no other choices. There's not a middle choice there. It's one or the other. Pull this next one up, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said to be right with God is often meant to be in trouble with men. We have pastors in California that are dealing with this right now. All they're trying to do is minister to people. All they're trying to do is help people. They're the ones that are helping the drug addicts and the single moms and everything else, and all they're getting is pushback from government leaders that are whining and dining themselves up in hypocrisy. But we're to be reflecting Jesus. And, we, and we, even when we, that happens, we still have to have a loving, pray, pray for them, caring heart. Last verse, and we'll come to a close here. Uh, verse 15, bring it to a close. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What a beautiful passage to kind of wrap this section up with. You guys uh, advance it. I've titled this last one, Praising. It was seven things. Um, hope you got them. They, they came <laughs> a little more radically without the clicker working. But nevertheless, this last one, Praising, we'll close here with yet another commandment, but it's a really simple and effective remedy for keeping us, listen brother and sister, those of you online, for keeping us from temptation, from deception, from depression, from apathy, from discontent, from frustration, from sadness, from anxiety, just to name a few. This verse is like a little medicine cabinet for you from the Lord but a spiritual one. How does this work? Well, first it says, by him. Look what it says. Therefore, by him. Amazingly, we're commanded something, but it says by him we can actually do it. Isn't that good to know? By him. I'm like, I'm supposed to do this, but it's by you. Yep, that's why he gave us Jesus. I'm going to send you the helper who's going to help you do the very things you're supposed to do. Otherwise, your flesh wouldn't ever get around to it, ever. Because we don't have it. There's nothing good in us. Even the Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. So we need His help to do the very thing that helps us. But how does this work? By Him, as we look to Jesus, and then with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can't help but see His worthiness, our need, and that causes us to look up to Him and say, thank you, praise you, I need you, and that helps us grow. Amen? We can't help but see that. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds me constantly when literally I, li I will sense I'm going into complaining mode and the Holy Spirit say, stop and say thanks. And I will start thanking God for trials. I prayed earlier, Lord I thank you that I was afflicted, Psalm 119. But we need the Lord to remind us to praise Him and to thank Him. And how often do we need to do this? Well it says, therefore by Him let us continually, you can circle that in your Bibles, continually is a lot. It never stops, right? It's perpetual. It's evergreen. Continually. Constantly, nonstop practice until it becomes like breathing for us. And like breathing, we're constantly thanking God and praising God. Thanking God, praising God. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, right? Constantly, it just starts to come out of you supernaturally, not naturally, supernaturally, because the Holy Spirit is now the one breathing for you instead of you breathing for you. 
And since it's by Him, you know it's supernatural. And our obedience, well, that will start to change us on the inside. It's a never-ending cycle of His cleansing and His keeping and His strengthening and His joy-giving. And the one who praises will soon be presenting Jesus to other people. The one who praises will soon be presenting Jesus. You praise God a lot, you're going to start telling people. You won't be able to keep from telling people what God has done for you. You won't be able to keep from saying, I want you to come to church. Oh, it's a bunch of hypocrites there. Yeah, that's what God did with me. Right? He changed me. Uh, I used to be, you know. I used to say the same thing you're saying. Now I'm just a little less hypocritical, but a whole lot saved. Closing, last two verses here. Psalm 9-1, pop that one up. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I mean, every, every word in that passage there. Whole heart, all your marvelous work. All, marvelous, your, there's so much. I mean, there's a, you could do a study on almost every word there. Don't dip our toes, become full-time worshipers. Don't dip your toes in it. Don't be a Sunday worshiper. Become a full-time worshiper of Jesus. When you wake up in the middle of the night, say thank you and go, you'll go back to sleep much faster, I promise you. You start praising God, you'll go back to sleep much faster. Otherwise, you'll start not counting sheep, you'll start counting bills and stuff like that. You know, that's the way. Tell others and tell yourself continually of God's greatness. Tell yourself and tell others continuously. Look at the verse. Your marvelous works. Just start telling God you're awesome, you're amazing. You're... He loves that. He'll lavish his favor on you when we do that. Worshippers and people of praise will become seed planters. There's no doubt about it. Remember, we're to reflect Jesus. Last verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Paul said this one. Pop it up there. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks. This is hard. Some things are not immediately thankful moments. One of the fun things I do at marriage retreats, I'll ask people, tell me a story that's funny now that wasn't funny then. (laughs) Right? It was funny. It wasn't funny at all then. You nearly divorced on that night. But now you can laugh about it. But learn to give thanks in the difficult times and everything. Paul learned that. And that's how he could be totally okay with getting bit by a snake or singing in prison, chained in human waste, the center of a cell. Who can do this? Only people who have learned to pray and thank God and praise God perpetually. If we do these things in submission to Christ, we'll be changed. We'll reflect Jesus to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for the admonition, the exhortation of your word. Some of these things are a little scary just outside the camp. What does that look like for each individual? But Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And Lord, it's activated as we cling to truth, as we obey you, as we praise you and give you thanks. And Lord, we want to grow in this by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in our last 10 minutes or so. You bow your head. I just want to speak to those that may be online. If there's anyone here, this, this message has been, uh, as is the vast majority of Hebrews, but not all of it, primarily to save people, primarily to believers that we would grow. But I don't want to take for granted. Maybe there's someone here that's visiting, or maybe you're watching us online and you stumbled upon and, and you say, you, know, you also mentioned some things about Jesus dying on the cross and, and suffering for my sins. And I just want to uh, 
give the opportunity. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, their Lord and Savior, I just want to present Christ to you, as we already have. But if your heads are bowed for just a moment, if there's anyone at all that says, yeah, I'm, I'm here and I, I've never asked him to cleanse me from my sins. I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If you're online, if you're watching right now, I can't see you, but the Lord can see you. Anyone at all? I'm going to lead in a prayer if there is anyone and perhaps someone online and just, you have to be sincere. It's not, a sinner's prayer will not get you into heaven, by the way. It says to confess with your mouth, you have to believe in your heart. There has to be a heart turning to Christ. Repentance is to turn from the old and to turn to the Lord. It's like a 180. You're going this direction and you say, I'm not going to follow myself anymore. I'm not going to follow the course of the world. I'm going to believe in Jesus. That's why we're going to look a lot in the book of John. We have to believe whosoever believes in him. To believe in him is to put your trust in him and to follow him. And so if you're online and you're watching you want to give your heart and life to Christ, in your heart pray this and God will receive you. Lord, I come to you. I humble myself. And I ask that you would cleanse me and forgive me of all of my sins all of my resistance, all of my pride. Wash me. Cleanse me. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I have decided this day to follow you, Jesus. From now till the day you take me home or you come in the rapture of the church, Lord, I pray that you would help me now to grow by your Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. If there's anyone done that online or even here this morning, Send us a note or just, if you're here, talk to myself or one of our uh, leaders after the service. Send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We'd love to follow up with you.